in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Adam Candy, Willie Ramirez in for Tyler and Ed. They're back in tomorrow here on the Press Box. The Raiders are 2-0. and UNLV is 0-3. There are a whole lot of NFL teams that are 1-1. and And Andy Dalton is on the shelf. Uh, let's talk a little NFL here as we get started uh, on the Press Box in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll get to a little Golden Knights coming up. Ryan Wallace will be with us as rookie camp is underway, and we're not all that far away from preseason games as well. Uh, Willie, as we look through yesterday's big NFL news, I think the fact that we got to see Justin Fields, which we've all kind of wanted to see pretty much since the draft, has to be atop the list of uh, interesting stories from yesterday's NFL action. The Bears were very short favorites at home against Cincinnati. In fact, the Bengals were a very popular underdog pick yesterday. Bears go up by a couple of scores, end up holding on to win 20-17. to Andy Dalton uh, apparently has avoided a serious knee injury. Justin Fields goes 6 of 13, 60 yards, an interception, 10 carries for 31. Um, have we seen the end of Andy Dalton time in Chicago or are we going to be subjected to more red rifle before we get to see what Justin Fields can do? I think that we're probably going to see Andy Dalton back in the mix because the only reason why Justin Fields stepped on the field in the first place was because of the injury. It's not the way that I think the Chicago Bears fans wanted to or any football fan should want to see, you know, a backup that you think should be the starter. Nobody, you know, going into the regular season, it was, you know, hey, Justin Fields should be the guy. He should be your starter. Everyone's anticipated and excited. And you're just waiting for Dalton to sort of fade away and Fields come in and save the day. Didn't expect it to be week two because of an injury. Because he's, as you said, escaped a serious injury, if he can play and get back onto the field, we'll see what happens this week as the week progresses. Um, I think that he'll be back in because... He is the starter. He started the season as the starter, and the only reason that Fields is in is because of an injury. He didn't. I don't think that Justin Fields proved anything in terms of that he should supplant Dalton, who, when he left, was nine of eleven, for which is a pretty good pass percentage, only fifty-six yards, but he did have a touchdown, one hundred and eighteen point two rating. So, I don't think that Fields did enough to steal the starting job. Dalton still has to sort of open the door for Fields to take it from him. Great question. Thank you. The Dallas Cowboys win 20-17. to Greg the leg comes through. 56-yard field goal for Greg Zerline as time expires. Now, why were the Cowboys kicking from 56 yards away? Uh, that was not obviously an ideal situation for Mike McCarthy. Um, Willie, here's just a piece of the explanation that Mike McCarthy had for how the final seconds played out in that win against L.A. Uh, first, a player went off the field after Tony Pollard's run to get L.A. to the 38 with 33 seconds left, who shouldn't come off. That was a communication error. And then Mike McCarthy said 
he could no longer see the digital board overhanging SoFi Stadium where the clock was, and neither could Kellen Moore. Quote, Mike McCarthy said of Kellen Moore, he got blocked by a camera guy. Uh, instead of using a timeout, leaving the Cowboys uh, in a better situation to run a third down play, Mike McCarthy listened to his assistant coaches from the booth and then decided to call a timeout with four seconds left. Meanwhile, Dak Prescott was kind of standing on the field looking around like, what exactly is going to happen here? Um, do we worry about things like this when it comes to Mike McCarthy? Or if you're a Cowboys fan, do you just say, eh, you know, we won and let's just get on to next week? Jesus, it's almost like hearing Gruden say, I couldn't find my kicker right? in week one. <laughs> you know? um, it's a little worrisome maybe about the stadium. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, they did come up, they pulled out the win and you get out of that and you say, well, at least they, you know, we got, came, we did what we came to do. Um, I, I guess what stood out to me more than anything though, is um, the emergence of Tony Pollard and, and uh, sort of stealing the, the, the rushing game spotlight from Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, Elliott was productive, 16 rushes 71 yards with a touchdown but Pollard 13 rushes 109 yards longest rush was 28 uh, a nice balance offense from the Cowboys and a methodical win realistically um, you know in Los Angeles against a respectable Chargers team um, so I I, I, um, I just sort of look at the the offenses being balanced yesterday and getting it done with with both uh, Prescott's uh, guidance and, and the air attack, and then a nice little rushing game between Pollard and Elliott. Uh, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see going forward, um, especially since the Chargers are in the AFC West, and we're going to have our eye on them and being a division mate of the Raiders. Um, you know, if this is an ongoing issue in terms of, you know, media and cameras and uh, not being able to see shot, uh, time clocks, play clocks. That's a great, great question. Many quarterbacks did not finish games yesterday. All of them did not finish games because of injuries. Uh, just like Aunt Bonnie on those insurance commercials when she looks in the fridge and she's saying, expire it, expire it. Uh, these are all injured. Baker Mayfield, injured. Tyrod Taylor, injured. Have I annoyed everybody yet? Carson Wentz, injured. Uh, there are a number of signal callers down in the NFL after this past week. Uh, which of the quarterback injuries that happened yesterday has you most concerned for their team's future, Willie? Well, I'm going to go one further and say that Tua um, getting knocked out of Miami ah. because I believe that beyond the fact that that's the Raiders' next opponent, um, you know, that you know Miami, I think, Depends a lot upon him. Um, he left early with a rib injury um, as the Bills sort of went on their way to a 35 nothing win. And, and I'm wondering if, you know, how, how the Dolphins offense can can respond to that. Um, I think the, I think Cleveland will be fine. I think, uh, you know, Mayfield made his way back. Um, I think some of the other ones will... It's, it's sort of a wait-and-see approach. But I think that the big one is going to be Miami missing to it. it, it it's, it's, you know, he didn't get a lot of, of protection, and Buffalo kept the pressure on him. Um, 
So, you know, he got sacked twice on just on, on one, uh, one possession. So, I mean, Buffalo from the outset was really putting the pressure on him. And if, if that's the case going forward, Miami is going to have a tough time um, with its quarterback position. And, and we'll just have to see what happens. Well, we'll, get, we'll get a glimpse of them up close this Sunday when they visit Allegiant. Next question. Golden Knights training camp opens this week. The first preseason game will be on Sunday. Uh, Willie, I know you're paying attention to it, um, but are you the only one paying attention to it? It kind of feels like hockey season just ended uh, and we have a 2-0 NFL team. Basically, what I'm asking you is this. If the Raiders are good, will people pay less attention to the Golden Knights? Um, those sort of organic fans from the two from that opening season with everything that took place, I think will will be there. There's the loyal season ticket holders. I think that you're going to see possibly um, they're going to have the the secondary market's going to take a hit on tickets. I don't think that it won't be sold out because it's still an incredible atmosphere. No matter how good the Raiders are, um, of course, if if sports fans on the whole are willing to pay tickets to go see the Las Vegas Raiders, they're, they'd be willing to to, to to go see the Golden Knights. But you know, they have they have some they have a few nights coming up. They have a preseason game. They have two regular season games where they play on the same day. I think that'll tell the tale. If a total of eighty thousand people will go see two events, you know, just in general, selling out two arenas, um, you know, the NFL is king. No matter what, no matter what you want to say, no matter doesn't matter. You know the the overall coverage, the the clicks on the internet, the the tweets, the social media, and so on and so forth. The bottom line is the NFL is king in this town because of everything that took place, you know, in 2017. Because of that inaugural season, I think the Golden Knights will always be a staple. Mark, what I think is going to be different is this is an entirely different. There's still that first line, the misfit line, which they call now of Carlson, Smith, and Marchesaw. But this is now a, an entirely different vibe. The Golden Knights of 2017-18, they're gone. It's done. It's over with. The trading of Flurry sort of put an exclamation point on that. But this is, an, this is now, get ready, hockey fans, because this is now the NHL season that you were supposed to experience and that you're supposed to experience with an expansion team. I'm not saying that they're going to be at the bottom, but... It's not going to shock me to see if this team struggles at times, and it'll be interesting to see what the fan base does when they now have to cheer for just, you know, a true hockey team, not sort of a beloved misfit team that everyone fell in love with that first year. Next question. Monday Night Football has the Detroit Lions visiting Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Packers are 11.5-point favorites as they come off uh, the stomping that they received from the New Orleans Saints in week one, 38 to three. But that's not what we care about. I mean, there, there's a football game, sure. But uh, but there's food. There's, there's a lot of food. There's always food at a uh, football game. But at Lambeau Field, you get the kielbasa. You get the pierogi. You get them together. The kielbasa pierogi is at Lambeau Field this year there are alcoholic slushies I don't I don't know what that's all about I, I'm not really up for the fat Tuesday giant drink from the strip but let's start there the kielbasa pierogi Willie have we taken two wonderful things and made two wonderful things better by putting them together or have we ruined them entirely 
I'm out on the kielbasa pierogi, but I do want the gyro. Take me to the gyro stand. It, it, Jared is playing us off as though we're at the Emmys. Uh, I, I'm very happy that Ted Lasso won yesterday, but uh, uh, apparently we got to go to break and we got to come back and we got to talk about college football. And, uh, and I'd like to thank my agent as well. 18 seconds left on the clock. The snap is back. The rush is in. It's launched to the end zone. Touchdown. Cropper dances in with 14 seconds left, and the Bruins' defense just let him go all the way down the field. I feel like Fresno State's like the best team in California. <laughs> Fresno State, they got, like, if you're a kid and you want to go play college football in California, I could. I mean, what, we beat UCLA four times in a row. How are we not in the Pac-12? I don't know. That's just crazy. I just had to throw that out there. That is the... First call of Josh Lewin on UCLA radio as Fresno State. Yes, that Fresno State enters the top 25 for both the AP and the coaches poll with an upset win over UCLA. And then, of course, the accent from no particular place in the world of Derek Carr talking about his alma mater, the Bulldogs, and why aren't they necessarily in the Pac-12? Uh, I don't know, but they are going to be the third consecutive ranked opponent that UNLV football is faced when the Rebels get up to the Central Valley on Friday evening. Uh, AP Top 25 updated and out. No surprise that Alabama remains on the top. They got a little scare uh, down in the swamp from Florida. Uh, did not cover what was a two-touchdown spread. They barely hang on, but they get the job done and they escape. So your top five in the AP poll, Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Iowa. On the coaches' side, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, A, and M. Uh, Willie, is this Alabama team as good as the teams we've seen the past few years? Because there were moments in that game against Florida where Bryce Young did not look ready for the kind of environment that he faced against 90,000 down in the swamp. But yet, once again, Alabama got the job done. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's as dominating as some of the teams that Saban has coached before leading up to this year, you know, in this current run that they're on. Um, I, I think that there are probably some kinks in the armor that he's going to have to iron out. Um, some wrinkles here and there. I, I, I'm not necessarily sold on its defense. Um, you know, the number two team, Georgia, they both have very close, impressive power five wins against a ranked opponent. Clemson for Georgia, Florida for Alabama. The thing is, is Florida was on the brink of winning that game. And, you know, in, in some respect, moved the ball and contended. Georgia shut Clemson down and relied upon a very, very stringent defense to win 10 to three in the season opener. They both dominated a power five team, Georgia dominating South Carolina, Alabama dominating Miami. I would argue that the South Carolina win was probably bigger. Um, I'm not sold on Miami just yet. I'm not sure what's going on down there. Um, and then the, 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 the non power five game that the Georgia Bulldogs played, dominated UAB where Alabama played Mercer. Um, and that was probably its most impressive performance. Um, so I don't know. I, I definitely don't think it's as dominating a team where they're just lights out. They're, they're going to, where you say they're going to run. I think this is a team that you look at and say, 
This is a beatable Alabama team catching them on the right week, um, coaching, going, you know, blow for blow against Saban. And, and where that where that turns up, I don't know. Um, you know, you look at Alabama's schedule. It's I, I'm not sure where, in fact, that it, it, it could possibly pull that or who's going to pull that victory off. Georgia doesn't play Alabama to maybe meet in the championship, in the SEC championship. But um, right now, when you look at all things considered, I, I somewhat think that Georgia's been more impressive. Ooh, Georgia more impressive than uh, Alabama. I mean, maybe thus far, maybe thus far when you consider the uh, the Clemson game. Um, Alabama news, actually, well, kind of Alabama news. Dolphins news, but it's breaking, and it goes back to an Alabama player in Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, Tua Tagovailoa underwent further tests this morning on his bruised ribs. Uh, he says, my understanding is those didn't reveal any major issues. X-rays negative. So with the Raiders awaiting on Sunday, uh, it'll be about pain tolerance and functionality moving forward. Of course, it is uh, Jacoby Brissett in relief if Tuatonga Vailoa can't go. So that's your update on the Raiders. Uh, back to UNLV football and Fresno State, who is now ranked in both polls, 22nd in one, 25th in the other, off that 40-37 to 37 win at UCLA. First of all, a quick word to anybody who bought into UCLA under Chip Kelly and said maybe they're turning it around. <laughs> and yeah, that was all one word. Uh, this weekend, this Fresno State team that not only went and won at UCLA, but played a one-score game with Oregon, uh, awaits with Jake Hayner against the Rebels. Uh, it's a 32-point spread. Uh that's where it was opened between UNLV and Fresno State. Um, let's not worry about the UNLV side, Willie. We've talked that about that plenty. Uh, mm. Are you buying that Fresno State is a top 25 team based on what you've seen thus far this year? Um, I am. It's just because of those two opponents that you spoke of. I mean, the Pac-12. Oregon is the number three team in the country. UCLA, you know, after the first two weeks, this is a UCLA team that whether Chip Kelly has turned it around entirely or not, UCLA did beat LSU the week before. So Fresno State went in to Eugene, lost by seven, and gave the Ducks all they could handle. Fresno State went into the Rose Bowl in Pasadena and beat UCLA 40-37, to put 40 points up on that team. And here's the thing. Total offense ranked ninth in the nation in with 541.5 yards per game. Total defense, 24th in the nation, 283.5 yards allowed. Scoring defense, allowing less than 20 points per game. It ranks 50th at allowing 19.5. Scoring offense, tied for 13th, scoring 43 points. This team is getting it done, throw out UConn and Cal Poly, in which it outscored those two teams by 108 to 10, and you talking about two road games against Pac-12 teams, one being the third-ranked team in the nation, Fresno State is for real, UNLV is in a lot of trouble because it's going to fall back again on the quarterback situation in Arroyo. Fresno State is going to light the team this team up because it is – easily one of the top 25 teams in the nation when you look up and down the charts after four games Fresno State is getting it done and by the way 
ranks number one in the nation with first downs, 105. So, um, you know, this will be this will be a, a cakewalk for Fresno State. Um, and then it has a couple of road games. But it's starting Mountain West play. It it could run the gamut until it, it t- travels to San Diego State on October 30th. Yeah, I think they'll probably get a pretty good test uh, from Nevada and Carson Strong at home on the 23rd. But we're not going to find out much about this team for a couple of weeks because they've got UNLV and then they'll go to Hawaii. Yes, you always have to be on upset alert going to the islands. But Hawaii is 1-3 and has not shown much thus far. Then comes the tough part. They'll go to Laramie to take on Wyoming, Nevada, San Diego State, Boise State, and at the end of the schedule, they have to go and play their rivals at San Jose State. So there's there's some there's some questions coming for for Fresno State, but thus far, I mean, you, you just ran it down with a great, impressive uh, run of stats on Fresno State. Jake Hayner and company have been outstanding in the early part of the year, and you're looking at a Mountain West that right now has seven actually make it eight teams counting air force with winning records uh thus far the conference as a whole is up uh unlv obviously is down so willie uh will the rebels win a game this year wow i um i did a podcast with uh I, oh how and much I didn't, did you charge I, I didn't i didn't charge him i didn't you charge. didn't charge okay just wanted I, to make that clear I, I was sitting in the press box for the unlv eastern washington game and our good friends ed graney and adam hill were doing a podcast and i jumped in real quick um because it was the season opener and i gave a prediction for free didn't charge them haven't sent an invoice probably won't um and i said they both said three and nine i said one and eleven I'm skeptical that they can pull that off. I've always said that no matter how good or bad, obviously, if they're good, then that's fine. But how bad that the one game that they'll eventually, even though Arroyo in his opening, uh, one of his first press conferences with us last year said that he will never put the onus on the Reno game, the UNR game, never put the pressure that that's the game they have to win even though, hello, Sanchez won four of the five years, uh, that that will be the only game at some point that'll be the last hope for this team to, to, to pull something off. Can, can UNLV, is UNLV better than Reno? No, but it's the one game that it always gets up for. I know it's up there this year, but it's the one game it can cling its hopes to. It's the one game that if any coach can get you riled up for, he understands the rivalry, uh, how important, like with Oregon and Oregon State. Other than that, I just don't know. No matter how, no matter who's just above them in the standings, no matter how bad the other teams may be, based on what we're seeing right now, execution-wise, and the court, the revolving quarterback door, unless he dials in with one guy and he's completely healthy, and that has to be Brumfeld, unless Tate Martell can be, you know, sort of molded into. The starting role and 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 I'm, I'm questioning some of the throws i saw even though i know that tate can will the ball to some receivers i don't know if unlv can win a game i have to look ahead and i mean way way ahead to november 13th when hawaii comes to allegiant stadium yes it is going to be a very partisan crowd in favor of the rainbow warriors but that is probably the best chance left on unlv's schedule to get a victory because there just are not a lot of friendly spots left for the rebels again uh they have been 
outscored in the past two weeks, 85 to 13 by a pair of ranked teams. It does not portend to get much better with Fresno State on the road this week uh, from a team that is going to struggle to win a game to a team we expect to win plenty of games this year. The Vegas Golden Knights, Ryan, the hockey guy with us here in a moment on the press box. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Adam Candy and William Ramirez are holding down the press box while Tyler and Ed get ready to come back in tomorrow. Ryan Wallace joins us here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, Ryan, let me... Let me start by asking you, have uh, what exactly have all of us who have been stuck watching football for basically the last 48 hours missed going on in the rookie tournament down in Arizona? Um, I, I think what you've missed is that it's hard to really um, evaluate kids that have had a couple of practices and are playing games. Uh, the Golden Knights haven't looked particularly good uh there have been some players that have had some some bright moments uh, zach hayes has, has acquitted himself quite well um jack dugan's been pretty good uh, zach dean had a nice goal but i mean other than that it, it's really hard to kind of assess uh, these kids on on in this situation this setting because again you're talking about a couple of practices and then going to play three games in four days so um, I wouldn't take too much out of these games outside of the fact that these guys are getting some some ice time and, and a chance really to to shake off some of that rust. So in in a sense, it's more in reality, it's more of an assessment for the coaching staff. the it's almost like you know weeks one and two of an NFL preseason where they're getting a chance to see, where people, where they're going to place people, their roles maybe with the Silver Knights, and then slowly and gradually their roles with the Golden Knights, if they even have that chance this season. Yeah, I mean, when you look at kind of this rookie showcase, you can maybe grab a couple of names that you think could actually play for the Golden Knights. Peyton Krebs being one of them. Jack Dugan's kind of on that bubble for me right now. Uh, but more or less, this is a tournament, this is a, a weekend for guys to really try to earn their spot on the Henderson Silver Knights. And the majority of guys that are going to, to be playing over the course of the last weekend are going to be playing for Manny Viveros in Henderson. So it's, it's really about putting your best foot forward and trying to earn your spot there as opposed to it is for the Golden Knights because we know what the Golden Knights roster is more or less going to be. There aren't many open jobs for the big club this year. And that leads right into the next question I had, Ryan, which is with training camp opening here this week, what are we trying to answer about the Golden Knights as we get ready for another season here? It hasn't been that long an off season. It's obviously been uh, active with the move at uh, goaltender, with the Donoff coming in, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as you said, it feels like everything's pretty much set going into camp. Yeah, it's interesting because – you know, for the first time, really, I think Pete DeBoer has a lot of different options on the table, right? Like, you can make the the determination that the Golden Knights aren't going to change anything in their top six, that they're going to roll it out exactly the same. You're going to keep the misfits together. You're going to keep Chandler Stevenson with uh, Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, and, and I don't think you'd find too many arguments against that. Those two lines have been very, very good. 
where the Golden Knights have options now is in their bottom six. They'll be without Alex Tuck at the beginning of the season, but you bring in Evgeny Dadanov, you bring in Nolan Patrick, who just signed a brand-new two-year contract worth $1.2 million annual average annual value. Uh, so you can kind of make, remake your third line, and then you've also got more options here on your fourth line without Ryan Reeves. You can, you can kind of play with different things. So for the Golden Knights, it's a team that's really deep up front, and, and what I'm most interested in in terms of this training camp and really throughout the preseason is how much tinkering does Pete DeBoer do with his top six? Is he willing to break up Jonathan Marshall, so William Carlson and Riley Smith? And if he does so, what are the new roles going to be for each line? I'm most intrigued by how the Golden Knights approach that aspect of the preseason and whether or not there's a change at all. Ryan, earlier Adam asked me, he said, you know, with Golden Knights starting up um, this week, training camp, Sunday there's a doubleheader, if you will, Raiders playing the Dolphins and then the preseason game down the street that night. As the Golden Knights get back into the mix and their season starts and the Raiders continue to play well, you know, where do the Golden Knights fall in the local fandom? Um, and, and I, my answer was that, you know, those organic fans that were created because this is their squad will always be loyal. Um, but I also think that this is going to be a different, this is going to be the first time um, since the Golden Knights arrived that we're somewhat going to see a and feel that this is a this is an entirely different vibe. There, I think the trading of Mark Andre Fleury has sort of put the exclamation in, and to some degree Ryan Reeves, um, those faces from the original team, the team that went to the Stanley Cup, the team that you know embraced Las Vegas because of October one. But the bottom line, I mean, there's still the misfit line. You have the 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 guys that came in that next season and have been there but do you get a sense that this is this is a year where they're finally going to be cheering for a and this is an nhl team now it's not that beloved misfit team the golden knights from that first year do you get that same vibe yeah i mean i think that there's a a clear delineation between who the golden knights were originally and who they are right now and you know, I, I think every year you kind of get further and further removed from that magical season, that, that inaugural season, and you know it becomes more difficult. But I, I don't, I don't think it's it's you know one of those situations where much is going to change in terms of how the fans view this club. I, I think they still want them to win. They still want them to bring a Stanley Cup to, to, to the Las Vegas Valley. It's just a matter of things change. Nothing is ever going to be the same. You're never going to be able to replicate what the Golden Knights did year one. And every year that you get further and further removed from that, you've got to evolve, you've got to change, and you've got to try to make your team better. And this offseason, the Golden Knights front office did what they thought would make this team better. On paper, up front, they are the deepest that they have ever been. Defensively, I think they're about the same. Uh, in goal, you don't have a tandem of Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury, but Robin Leonard and Brent Brassois is pretty darn good. So, you know, I look at this team, I, I think that, We'll find out if they're better. We'll find out if they have what it takes to win. But, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's there's certainly a delineation between who the Golden Knights were year one, even year two, to who they are right now. And I think that that's a natural progression of things. Ryan Wallace joining us here on the Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, according to reports out of Buffalo, uh, Jack Eichel will travel to Buffalo for his pre-training camp physical 
this week. Uh, not sure if he's going to be cleared to play. Not sure where he's going to play. Uh, are we keeping a flame alive, a little tiny flame somewhere in the back of City National Arena for the possibility of Jack Eichel as a Golden Knight? I mean, I think that it, it always exists just simply because of what this organization has done over the course of, of their first five years. If there's been a, a player that has been high profile and is considered among the very best at what they do, the Golden Knights have more more often than not been in on that player. And when it comes to Jack Eichel right now, I don't know why you'd make a trade. And and this is coming from somebody that, that absolutely loves the player. I think that he could be dynamic and he could be one of those franchise-type players. But you have no idea what you're going to get. You have no idea if he's going to be healthy. You have no idea what the timetable is in terms of what what how long he'd be out if he has surgery. So... I think the leverage right now to trade Jack Eichel has come and gone. And the only way that there's going to be a trade is if Jack plays, not for another team, but for the Buffalo Sabres to prove that he's healthy enough to play. Um, unfortunately for Tyler, he's, he's not too happy. He's not, he's not um, a little upset that, uh, well, his, his guy Jake Bischoff is on the mm-hmm. mend. Can we get an update from you on on the on the uh, a Jake Bischoff update? He's hurt. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, good. W- will he will he ever be putting a a, a Golden Knights uniform on? Um. Yeah, I mean he he has right. So, I mean Jake Bischoff has played at the NHL with the Vegas Golden Knights. I think that when you look at this team right now. On D, you've got Petrangelo, you've got Martinez, you've got McNabb and Theodore. White Cloud and Haig and Coughlin is kind of that seventh defenseman. So, I mean, I, I think it only takes an injury, right? Like, it, you're never going to go through a, an entire 82-game season without an injury. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Jake's probably right in that 8-9 spot where if there is an injury, he'd be that first call-up. But, you know, Dylan Coughlin took, took strides last year. He really showed well at the NHL level, and I would be surprised if it's not Coughlin that gets the majority of the looks and really trying to find a place for Dylan Coughlin in this lineup. All right, we'll finish on this, Ryan, because it's the biggest NHL news of the day. I'm very excited because I get to unearth a hat of mine that is roughly 25 years old and look like I just bought it this week, and it's going to look so beaten in and beautiful. The Arizona Coyotes are going back to the Kachina Coyote as their primary logo. Uh, I know this probably doesn't mean a lot to some people who haven't seen uh, the old Kachina Coyote, but he's fantastic. Uh, He's going to represent the Coyotes well, and he might be the only thing that represents the Coyotes well. Uh, Is this an amazing move or a spectacular move? This might be the single greatest thing the Arizona Coyotes have ever done. Yes. Um, and that's, that's you know, not saying a lot for the organization. But, again, it, it's a beautiful jersey. Um, they are Kachina. Like, I'm, I, I just I can't think of Arizona without thinking about these jerseys. That's what I remember them coming into the league with. They were so perfect then. They should have never been changed. And that often happens with teams that are trying to kind of find themselves and and see what their identity really is. This is what the Arizona Coyotes should have always been, and it's a shame that it's taken them this long to get back there. 
I'm just glad that they're back there. They're going to look sick on the ice. They're awesome, awesome jerseys. See, that, that's, that is the way to move to the top of my power ranking of Ryan's. <laughs> Ryan, hockey guy, Ryan Wallace is uh, kind enough to join us here on the Press Box. Ryan, no thanks charge. very much for your time. At, at no charge, Adam. At no charge. At no charge. Yep. Thanks, thanks Ryan. Ryan. See, All right. Comes uh, on, doesn't... He did not charge us. I, I appreciate that us. about it. Um, folks, I'm going to give you a fair warning. Um, when, when we come back on the other side here, I've turned a segment over to Jared, <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen. It could be hilarious, or, or, or you could hate us, or maybe even both. I typed your symptoms into the thing up here, and it says you could have network connectivity problems. Jared has questions, dumb questions. Here's a segment called Jared's Dumb Questions. You're the worst. Okay, she is just saying that to fit in. Let's get dumb. Yeah. Are you guys yeah, ready? Um, I mean, I guess if you made imaging for it, we have to go through with it with Jared's Dumb Questions. Um, here's the thing. I don't know what sort of responses you usually get out of Tyler and Ed, but... Uh, with with me and Willie, like we're we're not guaranteeing you anything. Like, by the way, by the way, real quick, if I can, if I may, uh, the the over the the uh, the voiceover guy that you know, the press box with Ed and Tyler, and they got all the names, and you got the fancy intros for Cassie and Ryan Wallace and so forth. You know, I have yet to hear anything about Candy and Willie. Tyler, uh, um, Jared, I expect you to get on this. Um. Okay. There is the the. You're a relatively recent addition, and it is in the works. Uh, Candy does actually have his own segment that we do. Uh, it's called Candy's Chonies. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I think because of so much NFL action, we might be, you know, sliding around. We may not get to his chonies, but uh, it's always a, oh, every time we every time we go to Candy's Chonies, it's a pleasant surprise. Okay, um, all right. That 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 all being said, Jared, I I would hate for the people to miss out on all of your dumb questions. Fire away. Okay, so right off the top, this uh, I'm I'm curious. We've had a couple of games recently that have gone either to overtime or have gone back and forth in less than like entertaining fashion or they would go to overtime against an FCS school and you don't know what you're going to write because you're on deadline. Now, both of you have high journalistic backgrounds. Like you've been, you've been writers for a very long time. What is the, like, what could you give me a story of like worst deadline? Like, okay, I guess I'm just rewriting the whole piece in like eight minutes. Yeah, Willie. I know this is this is the life you lead day in and day out. Uh, my experience is is significant but old. So why don't you take this one first? Um, I I would have to say most recently was obviously last Monday Raiders and Ravens. The Associated Press. We always have two people in the press box, um, with a lead writer and then your secondary writer to handle the um, sort of the the breakout or the sidebar. And so last week, um, Josh Dubow, who's done a great job covering the Raiders from the Bay Area for 16 years, flew in for the Monday night game. And you, you sort of collab throughout the game. You, you, he knows he's writing the gamer. And um, I know which interview room I'm going to for the most part in terms of winning or losing team. 
Now, with the case of the Raiders and the Ravens, um, and and you somewhat, you know, you, you have a, a, a sequence like you saw with the Raiders down on the goal line, you know, and then a stuff, and then a penalty, and then an interception. In that case, Josh and I are looking at each other, and it went from the the story ideas went from, you know, um, the offensive line to Lamar Jackson to you know. Wait a minute. Let's. Well, what interview room are you going to go to? Well, you need to go to this room. But that all took place in the last couple of minutes of regulation and and throughout overtime. Um, if I were to try to pinpoint one crazy deadline mishap, I don't think that I could because they all variate in that crazy last few minute situation, especially with the Associated Press. What people don't realize is people say, well, you cover the Golden Knights, you cover the Raiders. Well, yes, to a degree, but I'm really covering the NHL in Las Vegas. I'm covering the NFL in Las Vegas. More so with the Raiders, yes. But when the if a team comes in and wins and beats the Raiders, I'm, I'm writing that team up. When a team comes in and beats the Golden Knights, that's the team I'm focusing on for the Associated Press. With the Raiders, you're getting two stories out of it because you're getting the, the the winning team and their side of the story, and then you're getting usually a losing side. Now, that night, what was kind of nuts was I went all the way to the other side of Legion Stadium, sat there through Harbaugh, talked to Lamar Jackson, came back around, happened to run into Josh at the elevator. He gets out of the Raiders locker room. He says, change of plans. We're going with Carl Nassib as your breakout story in terms of the first regulation game for – for the first openly gay player, blah, 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 blah. So the whole, and him having the the big defensive play. So they sort of wanted that theme in terms of how he came up with the big play and it combined with that. And I happened to find a, a fan in the stands that, or I actually stumbled onto another reporter who spoke to a fan in the stands. So it, it, it worked itself out. But the craziness I would have to say really is with the Golden Knights because that can get nuts. All right, real quick. I would be remiss if I didn't ask Adam this question, considering he is our official official for the press box. What is going on with the targeting calls the last, like, three weeks in college football? Does anyone have an idea, any idea what what those are? Like, what, so, what is targeting? Uh, what is targeting is sort of like asking me what is taunting in the NFL. Because right now, I'm way more concerned about that. Are we going back to the no fun league days? Seriously? This came from John Mara, the owner of the Giants and the competition committee to call all these ridiculous taunting penalties you've seen through the first two weeks. So if he's responsible for that, and he's responsible for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge and the state of the New York Giants, blow it all up, blow it all up at once, blow it all up in one giant dumpster.